0: Every coach that I've ever worked with, played under, or seen uses some sort of constraints in their training methods. But if the constraints that you're using in your training sessions have nothing to do with your playing style, then what you're doing isn't really helping the players get ready for the game, which is the ultimate goal. Let's get them ready for Saturday. Let's get them ready for the game. And if you're not doing that, you're doing a huge disservice to the players on your team. Prepare for a soccer coaching revolution. Come with me on a journey to discover the latest methods, techniques, and tactics that will transform you into a more effective coach, player, or soccer parent. Whether you're a seasoned coach or a beginner, growth never stops. I'm Saga Brabinovich, and this is Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Well, I'm really excited to talk about this weekend's games. We had four games this weekend. Our 2014s played, our 2013s played, our 2012s played, and then our 2010s played. So we had a good variety of players at different age groups um, playing throughout our weekend games. And that was really awesome uh, just to kind of see really where the teams are uh, after a full week of sessions. Now, last week, I don't really count as the first kind of games back we didn't train we just kind of went into games blindly I would say uh, without having a week to get the players back in from holidays and uh, you know Christmas meals and all that and just kind of sitting at home a lot of them some of them went away so uh, this whole week was really good to get them into what our standards are and uh, just remind them of the playing style so our 2014 started and we played really well. Um, I put the game up on YouTube. I'll also put up another one of our really good games that we had. But what I wanted to start concentrating on a little bit more was the stats that are being offered through VO. Now, I'll say this. I don't know how reliable the stats are, but um, I'm using them anyway. And I'm really using them to prove a point uh, with the teams at how I want them to play. And every week... I'm really starting to kind of push them a little more and to have proof I think is really helping uh, the players kind of realize uh, how to improve things. So let's start with our 2014 and uh, that team again played really well. Uh, I'll read you some of our stats and listen I know I know they're kids and I know that You know, stats aren't everything. I want to be super clear. And we're looking at the actual performance and we're going through the games on our Zoom meetings. But the stats that I use are very basic and it helps get the point across of what I really want to work on in the next game. So we had a really high possession stat, uh, 69%. So we had possession most of that game and I knew that going in. Uh, we didn't play a very strong team. Um, and in those situations, I really try and concentrate on that possession stat. And the reason I do that is because I don't want it to be a blowout, right? So even though this was a blowout, and I think we won like 5-1 or something, um, at the end of the day, at the end of the first half, we were down 1-0. So eventually, you know, we ended up getting the goals, and but we played really well. And if I didn't really concentrate on that... Um, I mean, one of our players, you'll be able to see this on the highlights on the YouTube. He just went through the whole team, right? When when I kind of allowed him to do that. And, and that's fine, you know, but at the end of the day, if it's too easy, <laughs> then there's really no point, you know, to, to kind of just have a player going through the whole team, right? So anyway, uh, that's kind of at least what's going on in my head and the reason that um, I'm focusing on these stats. So uh, possession, 70%, fantastic. Now, that's been the focus for the 2014 team. That and pass strings. Pass strings again is a really good metric that I really like. It's how many passes we've been able to connect. And I know again, you know, that's obviously not a metric that you should just kind of use, right? So you can't just say, oh, you know, uh, I I want my team to just have you know six or more passes seven times or or something like that because that's the right to just pass for passing's sake. But we're using that as a metric to get to the next level. And the next level is something that this team is really struggling with, and that is the possession location. With our 2014 team, what we see is that most of the possession is held in the defensive third. So what that tells me is that we're able to keep possession in the worst part of the field, which is our half, right? That's not what we want. So it's telling me that the 69% possession doesn't really mean anything because we're keeping possession in our half, right? And usually it's in our third. Our passing strings are happening near our goal. So again, these aren't meaningful things. So 69% possession looks great, but if you think about it, Is it really that great when you're playing most of the game with your goalkeeper and the two defenders in your third? No. So, this week on our Zoom meeting, we really showed each team's uh, possession location. And what we saw last game, this past weekend with our 2014 is 43% of our possession was in our defensive third, 34% in our middle third, and then 24% in our final third. And that's the exact opposite of what we want. We want it the other way. We want, we want 43 in the attacking, and then we want 34 in the middle, and then 24 in our defensive third, right? So eh, we played really well, great highlights. Our stats overall look incredible, but when we really come down and analyze the game, that's not how we want to play. We don't want the ball in our third. Um, But, you know, it it was really great to be able to show the players that from our 2014 team. Now, the highlights are incredible, some really great things. But now we can see that we've gotten the possession down because this team, they average a crazy amount of of possession. Uh, What's great, again, with the uh, VO is that when you go to Uh, the analytics studio, it'll show you the past 10 games. And if I just read the past 10 games uh, of possession stats, 68, 69, 65, 51, 51, 58, 60, and 69, it's incredible what these kids are able to do in keeping possession. But what we wanna start working on is really being able to have possession in the final third. And when we take that team and compare it to the other team who I thought had the best game, they only had 55% possession. But when we look at possession location, 39% was in the attacking third, 30 was in the middle third, and 31 was in the defensive third, right? And that was the team that had the most success. And they were totally dominating throughout the whole game. And from the beginning, goals, goals, goals. And you can see why, because the stats provide that. If we look at our passing strings, we had over 20 passes, sorry, 20 strings. So, no, I didn't say that right. So it says three to five passes. We did that 20 times. That makes more sense. So together, we combined three to five times, right? So three passes or five passes. 20 times and that's incredible our longest string of passes was only five but most of those passes most of those connections those quick give and goes were done in the attacking third so that was really great right so very proud of that team um and they just they played really well we ended up winning like seven two, something like that but every single possession we had i thought was there was a point to it we didn't just kind of you know, play. Um, Our oldest team, well, let's start with our 2013 team. Our 2013 team, uh, they're struggling um, overall. Uh, It's still kind of a team being put together uh, with a lot of new players. So, um, you know, they played better. They're starting to get better and better, but nowhere near... Uh, where we want the level to be. Uh, For the 2010s, really a game we should have won. At this point, these are U14s. These are teams, this is a team that needs to start, you know, really prioritizing, going out there and fighting to win. That's the team that I don't really see that as much. I get frustrated very easily. Um, The stats overall They're not that bad. But again, if we look at the key stat for me now, which is position, uh, possession, location, 32 defensive, middle is 38, and attacking is 30. So once again, a team that has the lowest amount of possession in the final third. And that makes sense because we're just not scoring goals. We're not scoring enough, right? Uh, And we're getting scored on a lot, uh, too much. Our defense is struggling, and uh, we can see why there. So um, that was kind of a highlight of the weekend. Um, but yeah, uh, I thought overall a really good weekend, especially for a 2012s, 2014s. You can start to see, especially with the 2014s, you're starting to see them really get to a higher level each and improve every single game. And that's what we're looking for with that 2014 team. And I think for the summer, they're really setting up themselves to be a very powerful team, much like my 2012s, who I've also had had consistent players in that 2012 team since they were U9. So when we look at those stats as well, they're very consistent throughout. We see the same issues between the 2012s and the 2014s, and we also see the same type of success between them, at where they were in their soccer journey. Now I do wanna highlight um, this weekend's Manchester City and Newcastle game. What a great game that was. Uh, Watching that, you were on the edge of your seat uh, for most of that game. And it was really evident to me uh, that the Barcelona way, and we'll talk about what that means today, was really a staple of Manchester City. Um, And we'll talk about one part. uh, Well, I'll I'll go into it in a second. But what we're going to be working on this week is the first element of the seven elements, which make up the foundation of the Barcelona style. So let's just start that. um, But a really incredible game. Uh, De Bruyne, I mean, when he comes on and he does the things that he does, you forget about it you, you you forgot how good he was he comes on for 20 minutes in the first game back and just absolutely destroys uh Newcastle and and gets them the win but that's what a player who is of just incredible legendary status can do for your team. And, and we have those. We have game changers, right? And for me, those game changers come in so many different ways. They could be passers, 1v1, uh, warriors. They could be, you know, fantastic finishers. There are so many ways for players to change the game. And if you're at the highest level in that specific skill, or you can combine two of those skills and be at a very high level, you're a game changer, that's all you are. So let's talk about today's main topic. And I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff from Barcelona for the next little while because obviously I went through their course and I'm still trying to kind of work through everything and I'm taking it step by step because the course um even though it was a month long per module at the end which is now what it is, I'm going back doing it again. And just kind of finding the parts that I really like and working them into our playing philosophy. Now, just a reminder: content fantastic, everything else not great. Um, you know, the way the website, the videos, um, the images, the sessions. Uh, the sessions are great, but again, just the quality of, you know, using nineteen ninety eight word to create a session is not what I'm paying that much money for. But nevertheless, the content, fantastic, uh, and it's going to take me a while to work through it. So um, you guys are going to be there with me as I work through it. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the first of the seven elements that make up the foundation of uh, the Barcelona playing style, according to the course. So let's talk about the first one. Uh, And yeah, and then we'll go from there. Uh, I'll also share with you a session that I created um, based on numerical superiority. uh, And that's really, I think, what our teams are struggling with. um, Because the idea, uh, again, from this past weekend is not only can we get possession, but can we take it to the next level and have meaningful possession? So The first element of this Barcelona way of playing is play one or two touches if you want to set a certain pace in the game and and distract the opposing team. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to read that slowly and I'm going to stop at certain points. So play one or two touches if, that's huge, if you want to set a certain pace in the game. So there are moments when you shouldn't. And whenever you want to distract the opposing team. And to me, that distraction part is probably the most important part of that sentence, other than the playing one or two touch. Now, within one sentence, this whole thing can change your playing philosophy. A lot of coaches do their rondos and they go... I'm going to put in one, two constraint and it's going to look beautiful and you're playing one, two touch Rondo and it looks so good. But why are you doing that? There's no reason that you are, you're just putting in a constraint and yeah, you could say, okay, well, I want to work on their first touch. I want to work on, you know, one touch. Uh, I want to work on uh, speed of play. You know, these are all things that you can use one or two touch as a tool but if you don't have the foundation of what those represent then doing it in the game might actually end up doing the opposite of what you want you might end up actually losing the ball if all you're doing is playing one touch two touch because there are certain moments just like in that sentence that the pace shouldn't be quick It should be slow because soccer goes fast, goes slow. There are moments in the game where you attack, defend, transition. And to just be playing fast the whole time, that's not the right way to do it. So let's deconstruct this whole thing. Let's realize when... We should be playing one or two touches, where, how, everything that you need to know. And then let's find a session, right, that we can teach our players. And we can see if they can understand it so that we can implement it in the game and make sure that session plan, right, or that activity, because it's one activity, really mirrors the game as much as possible. So let's get into it. The most important thing for me to understand is when my players should distract the opponent. And distract for me is the same thing as attract, okay? I want to attract the opposing team. And that's what I'm going to use one or two touches for. I'm going to use it to attract the team to me, the opposing team to me, so that by attracting them, we open up the space usually on the weak side, and then we can get that ball to the weak side. Now, how do we attract, right? Well, attract means that we have the ball in the same area of play for an extended period of time to give the opposing team time to come and close us down. And in order to have control of that area, we want to have more players than them in a specific area so that we can control it as the team the opposing team comes in to pressure us and that is called numerical superiority the ability to have more players in a space that you know we can talk about the spaces but just you know i just want you to understand to have them in a specific space any space that is right we can talk and 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 you know, as specific as like zone 12, or we can just talk about, you know, thirds, defensive, middle, and attacking third. We, you know, we, we can break it down to as specific as we want the zones to be. But at the end of the day, all you really need to understand is we want more players in a specific area than them and that's numerical superiority and when we have numerical superiority we can play one or two touch so that the opponent goes okay they've done you know three four passes in this area and we're not able to get the ball let's send more people you know i i have this image in my mind of like an old cartoon um tv show of uh of where there is a superhero right and that superhero is trying to get up. Let's say this castle, right? And the bad guys at the top of the castle. And you know, one of the guards comes up and goes, you know, uh, I don't know. Let's give let's give a superhero name. How about I don't know, Mister Fantastic? Okay, so Mister Fantastic, superhero, is trying to save the day. And the bad guy, let's call him Doctor Evil. And Dr. Evil is, uh, you know, one of his henchmen comes up and says, Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil, Mr. Fantastic is here. And Dr. Evil goes, okay, uh, you, 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 go downstairs, okay, take care of him, right? And a couple of minutes go by and you hear all this commotion and screaming and then silence. Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil, you know, he's coming up, he's on the second floor. And this time he sends seven players, seven people. Sorry. And and then Dr. And and then Mr. Fantastic takes care of them. And then he goes to the third floor. And then now he Dr. Evil is getting more panicked. And he sends ten people, right? And he just keeps sending more and more and more and more and more because he's unable to get what he wants. And it's the same thing with numerical superiority, right? You're in a specific zone and the other team sends a player. And nothing happens. They can't get the ball. So then they send another player and nothing happens and they can't get the ball. And then they send another player and nothing happens and they can't get the ball. And by that point, you've attracted so many of them that what you've done is you've created space on the weak side to get that ball to. So we play this one-two touch to really get and attract the other team. And that to me is a really good foundation to start with okay, using numerical superiority as a guide to when we should be playing one or two touch. Now, if you receive that ball on the weak side and you're 1v1, right, are you playing one, two touch? No, you're not. Why not? Because, one, you don't have numerical superiority, right, we're even 1v1, but that's when you go and you attack with that 1v1. Or if we can pass through... uh the line of pressure, right? Whatever line that is, whether it's, uh, you know, their defensive line, their midfield line, if we've broken one of their lines, then we go, then we attack, right? Then we dribble and we, we attack the space, but that's not when we use one or two touch. So we have to understand at what point we use it. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're on the weak side and you receive that ball and it's a 2v1, do we have numerical superiority? Yes. And if it's a 2v1 and we can still attack and do a give and go and go, then yeah, give and go and then attack. But whenever we have that numerical superiority, that's the idea of let's play one or two touch with the idea that we want to attack. We don't just one or two touch for the sake of it. And that's the problem with the rondos, right? The rondos that you're doing and you're saying one touch, two touch for the sake of it to get our touch better, to get this better, to get that better. That's not the right attitude. But if we take the approach of, okay, let's do rondos one or two touch with the idea of numerical superiority, then that changes it. Hopefully that makes sense. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to do one or two touches in the rondo. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that unless you have that foundational philosophy and that numerical superiority and understanding when one or two touch should be played by your team unless you have that as a foundation then it's okay because now your players understand because you should be doing it in your sessions and promoting it in certain moments right but the big mistake is We go and we do a rondo one-two touch and it looks fantastic. And then, uh, you know, we get into a small-sided game and we go one or two touch and it's fantastic. And then we go into a game at the end and we go one or two touch and everything breaks down because there are certain moments when you're not supposed to do one or two touch, right? In those 1v1 moments when those are really the opportunity for individuals to shine and you're making them pass backwards or sideways or this or that where they have a clear 1v1 opportunity and a chance to really express themselves. So if you want to do your rondo and you want to do one or two touch, that's great. Do it. But have the idea of why you're doing it and make sure the players understand it and create a situation where that happens. Now, The biggest problem we had with our 2014s was, again, where the possession was. So, for the 2014s, as you probably remember, most of the possession was in the defensive third. And the problem was, which was my fault, I would yell reset. And in their minds, reset means go all the way back to the goalkeeper. So... We shut that down right away on on the Zoom session. We said there are two places to reset. There's half, and then there is um, the goal line, right? So when we're in our half and we want to reset, we reset to the goal line where the goalkeeper is. Usually our goalkeeper is higher than that, but I just want them to have... Uh, usually the goalkeeper is out of the goal, right? And, and usually out of their, uh, their goalie box. It's on 18 or 16 because we're playing indoor. Um, and then when we're in their half the reset is half, right? So we don't want to go all the way back to the goalkeeper. We do want to go back to the goalkeeper. If the forward presses and cuts off the passing lane between the two defenders, then we use our goalkeeper to create a 3v1. But other than that, we don't want to go all the way back. So I created a session where numerical superiority is dominant. That idea is dominant part of it. And then we use one or two touch in those areas where we have numerical superiority until we get out of it, right? Until we get to the weak side. So here's what this looks like. Okay. I'm going to do my best to really explain it. Um, But here we go. We're playing on the other team's half. The game is 3v3 plus 3. Okay. We're playing 7v7. So we're playing a 2-3-1. Now here's what this looks like. Two defenders and one center mid are my neutral players. Those are the players that are going to give me numerical superiority. With the 2013s, our issue was that our center mid was not providing numerical superiority and coming in to the strong side. He was just kind of staying in the middle. And as a result of that, we never really had numerical superiority. So every single time the wingers got it, it was just 1v1. Just 1v1, just 1v1, do your best or reset. And most of the time they would reset and eventually we would lose the ball and get scored on, right? So we don't want that. So we want to take that away. So defenders, center mid, neutrals. Everyone else is 1v1. So the wingers, 1v1. Uh, there are two wingers, so that's two players. And then our forwards are 1v1. And we're playing this zone between half and the box, right? The goalkeeper box, right? So if you can imagine um, a giant rectangle running along that line from sideline to sideline, um, that's the playing area. And then we're cutting the, the field in half. So what you have now is two boxes, one on the left side, one on the right side of, of the field. And within that, now what we have is one defender on the left side, one center mid in the middle of the field. We've got one winger and one forward. So that's four players. And they're playing against the two players on the opposing team. And those two players are, again, a forward and a winger. So what you have is a 4v2. And we're really exaggerating the numerical superiority in a 4v2 because now we can have them play one or two touch. And the idea is I want the ball to go into the cross zone, okay? And the cross zone for me is uh, if we think about the final third, it's the final third on the wide spaces, Okay, so the wide spaces are uh, from the 18 to the to the sidelines, right? So that's the wide zone. Okay, the wide space. So uh, we're in that wide space, and that's cut off by the final third. So you have this small little box. So we want to get that ball there. That's where we want. And from there, we want a one touch. Or again, mostly two touches if possible. If we take two touches, then usually we reset. But we want to send that ball to that wide space corner. And then we want to cross it in. Now, we're going to keep this ball on the strong side until we see the ability to get that ball to the weak side. Or until we see the ability to break the line. And that gives us the idea of dribbling right of then going into the next phase but what i really want to focus on is that one touch two touch and numerical superiority so what you're going to hear from me as the coach is can we add numbers right and can we add numbers to the space that's going to be my big coaching point to the center mid. And I really want the center mid and the forward to be the ones that are constantly moving from one square to the other square, from the left side to the right side to the left side to the right side. And it's going to be who's going to add the most amount of numerical superiority, the more players into that space. And the idea is that we don't always have to switch, but we could even stay on the strong side because we have numerical superiority and try and work that ball to the forward, from the forward to the winger. And then the weak side winger comes into the zone to try and score along with uh, the center mid. Because most of our success this weekend was when the winger went down the line, got the ball in the wide space, in that kind of final third wide space. They were able to cut it back to our center mid and our center mid would just shoot the ball so that was our 2012s and i'll have some highlights and i'll have the full game probably on youtube as well by the end of the week Um, but that was fantastic our center mid in the 2012 game incredible Uh, he just wanted to be involved and that's what i want I, i want my center mid i want my forward to want the ball to be a part of the game and by bringing in numerical superiority as an idea to all the players, that's what they should understand. Now, I really like that idea of even during the switching of the play to the weak side in this activity that we're still playing one or two touch, but it's only because we still have numerical superiority on the weak side with our defender and our uh, and our winger. And what that would look like for me would be The ball comes to the defender. The defender would switch to the other side defender. That's something that we haven't really gotten used to with our 2014s um, because we've taken that away from them when they were in our half because they would do that and the forward would win it and score. But in the other team's half, that's okay because usually the forward isn't uh, in between that line. And then also our defender should be supporting, which means a little bit behind the ball. um, So they should have a passing lane there. But when that defender has it on the strong side, passes it to the weak side, as that ball is moving, I want the midfielder, the center mid to shift over with it so that we could one touch to the midfielder and the midfielder can look up for the winger who should be running into the space, right? So that's really, that's what I would love to see. And that's how we get that one or two touch in numerical superiority. Or can we even get uh, ball to defender, uh, defender uh, could send it up to the winger if, there's, if the winger's making the right run. And if not, and the winger's coming to support, can the winger get it? And by that time, can we do a give and go with someone, whether it's the defender, whether it's the forward, that really doesn't matter to me. Again, I don't want them to do the same thing over and over again. I want them to be creative, but as long as they can understand that we have more players, one, two, touch. That's what I want, okay? So numerical superiority, one, two, touch. And if we can attack, let's attack. Let's look forward first, right? That's, that's the mentality that I wanna have um, because that to me is how we can really control the game. If we have more players than them, if we look to play forward as much as possible, then I think we'll be very successful. This weekend, we have four games, our U9s are playing, our U11s, U12s, and, our, sorry, not our U12s, so our U9s, our U11s, 13s, and then our 14s are playing as well. So uh, two of the older age groups, I really liked the game that we had with our U13s last week uh, when we didn't have the goalkeeper. Um, unfortunately, with those two age groups, I think we've kind of already played the lowest seed seed teams so now we've got even tougher teams um so that's going to be interesting for this weekend other than that our u9s uh we're continuing to bring new players in from our academy as they develop and get to the level that we feel we need to play on that u9 team as well uh we're also kind of getting ready for a shift in the summer uh we're going to try something new i think um We're going to continue with Ontario soccer because we have to, but uh, there are some other options out there that I'm really interested in. So uh, we have to kind of see if that works. As a full-fledged member of Ontario soccer, we're not allowed to play in other leagues. We're not allowed to talk to teams that are not part of the district. Um, It's just all nonsense uh, if you ask me about it. Uh, I, I don't think that it's good what Ontario Soccer's doing. Every single month, it seems like they send out emails of new laws and new courses that coaches and owners and technical directors have to take. So I just don't like that. It seems like a money grab. Um, to play at the highest level, you've got to have just crazy amounts of things that a lot of the smaller teams don't have and you're only really getting players scouted if you're playing in the top level and we're just not allowed entry in it. So um, it's really frustrating. But what I do like is that we do have the ability to play at a lower level if we want to. Um, So there's a lot of things that I'm thinking about going into uh, already this summer. So I'm excited to hopefully talk about Things that are out there, not things that I'll I'll join or I can say that I'll join, but they are things that are out there in Ontario. Um, So I'll probably be talking about that within the next couple of months uh, and I'll continue to talk about a lot of the Barcelona ideas. Uh, It's Thursday now. I record this on Tuesday, so Wednesday night is usually the night where uh, I do the session. So session turned out well by the end of it. That one touch, two touch, um, and more importantly, numerical superiority was a really big part of how we played in in my coaching points and really got to see that. So hopefully we can see that in this weekend's games. We can start to get meaningful possession in the opponent's third. That's really what I want. So um, these teams are the ones that struggle with that the most. So we'll see how we do. I'm not expecting anything crazy with the U9s. uh, Those kids are still, there's some U9s, there's some U8s in there. So it's uh, it's different with the younger age groups. But hopefully with uh, U13s and U14s, they'll understand it and they'll play really well. Uh, The U13s have a really tough game. A really tough game. Uh, Probably one of the best goalkeepers I've seen on another team. He's he's unbeatable. The fact that we play in such a small net and this kid, um, he's huge Um, as a U11. He's gigantic. He's athletic. He's fantastic. So uh, that's going to be a really tough game Uh, with the U14s. I really don't know the team that we're playing. I'll probably know them when I see them. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, The U14s last week, they did do well from a possession point of view but until we find a goal scorer um, that team's going to have a very difficult time uh, getting things done so uh, until next week enjoy the journey enjoy the moments but most importantly enjoy the game